Hello, 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 hello. Welcome to the NC Real Estate Podcast. I'm Natasha Collins and I am the owner and founder of NC Real Estate, which includes its members a club for property investors, a place for them to go to build a property portfolio that completely aligns with their goals. It's actually open at the moment. I can't believe it. I've opened the members club for the first time in months to new property investors who want to join, learn how to upscale their property portfolio, get one-to-one help and advice from me, as well as weekly workshops so that you're always up to date with what's going on in the property industry and huge amounts of resources so that you can take action on a daily basis. And action doesn't have to be anything more than 15 minutes a day. So it's really, really, really bite-sized, easy to manage stuff, but it gives you huge, 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 huge impact. So if that is something that you would be really interested in getting involved with, click the link below and it will take you to the page where you can enroll yourself. As I said, enrollment is only open for a limited period of time. I'm closing this at the end of November and there is no scheduled reopen date for the foreseeable future. So if you want to jump in and work with me, now is your chance to do it. So make sure that you are taking full advantage of that. I cannot wait to work with you over there. So come and jump in now. Click that link, make sure that you join. So today's podcast, I want to talk to you about residential versus commercial. It's something that I am always, 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 always asked about. What are the pros and cons? What is the better investment? But first, I really wanted to talk to you about something that's been playing on my mind recently. And if you follow my blogs, you'll have seen that I did a blog called Dear Theresa May. Now, as you're all aware, I am currently in the States, but I do come backwards and forwards. I was back in the UK the week before last. um, And it's actually at the moment, it's relatively easy for me to come backwards and forwards. I've got a visa over here in the US, which means that I can't work, but I can be here um, indefinitely as long as Chris is in the country because he's got the working visa. And of course I can come in and out of the UK. It's really, really simple. Thank you Heathrow for being such a welcoming airport where whenever I get off the plane, you literally just scan your passport and you're in the country within five minutes. It's not quite that easy when you go through JFK. Usually I'm waiting for a minimum of about 45 minutes to get into the country, which is frustrating, but hey, those are the hoops you have to jump through. And I'm worried that as we leave the uh, EU, that might be something that we have to experience whenever we come back into the UK. That's my first thought, because when you come into JFK, it's not just foreigners who have to wait. It is Americans too. I can't believe that they do that to their own citizens. I get it. If you're on a visa, you're not a permanent resident. If you're on an ESTA, if you're traveling on any of their other visa schemes, I get it. Get them to wait, whatever. But doing it to your own citizens, nightmare. Um, So that was one of my worries from Brexit. But my second worry is the fact that nothing is happening. And every single time I read the newspaper, there is nothing going on. And as a general rule of thumb, before I go to bed at night, I will look on Twitter and I will find what's going on in the papers the next day. I read the headlines, I'll keep up to date with the news. Occasionally during the day, I do switch on BBC World Service so I can see what's going on, but usually that's quite dull um, and there's nothing much being reported. But I am shocked that we are this far away from leaving the EU, like 
no time at all and there is still no deal and this winds me up and I wanted to um, just present a solution. I mean, I am not a top lawyer on EU law, whatever that is. I am not um, a politician who has any say over this. But what I can definitely see is that there are no tactics behind this whatsoever. I don't know who's going in to negotiate. She's got people leaving left, right and centre. I just want some answers. Um, and I think for me, reading the fact that there is no cohesion, there is no strategy, there is no real desired outcome. I don't know what it is that we're aiming for and that makes me feel like nothing is going to happen and that's frustrating because whilst I didn't vote to leave the EU, I get democracy. I understand it. If that's what people wanted to do, okay, fine, let's go with it. But you've got to not just be leaving things to the 11th hour. You really haven't. And this is the same with property deals. I actually think that as a surveyor, I would probably be able to go through and deal with this transaction um, in a kind of a systematic way. Yeah, I don't have the ins and outs, but I'd build a team who would be able to do that. I'd send in my top negotiators, people who actually will go in, they have a passion about what they're trying to achieve and get the best outcome. I cannot see that happening at the moment. Um, so... I hope over the next couple of weeks we see what's going to happen, um, if anything, if there's any outcome. I feel for everybody involved in this at, at the moment. Um, and just so you know, I'm still very much a UK citizen. I pay my taxes in the UK. Everything I do is centred around the UK. And so I've got very much a vested interest in it as you have. Um, and I just feel a bit sad, like we're being horrendously let down. And I don't have the answers, but I'm keeping a close eye on it. And quite frankly, it's taking up all of the news and it's something that I should be interested in because it's going to make a change for all of us. And it's terrifying that no one has got a strategy. So just between you and I, when you go out and you're negotiating on your property deals, you've got your property goals, take Brexit as the worst example of anybody going into negotiation ever and strive to do things differently. Put your game face on, set your goals, go out there with your strategy. And if you haven't got a strategy, then come to me and ask me. Um, it's what I do through the members club, give you different ways to look at something so that you have got A, B and C action you can take. And it means that you will get results from it. And you don't back down until you get the results that you want. And maybe if things don't go right the first time, you just change it a little bit. But all I see from these Brexit negotiations is the fact that she keeps coming back with her tail between her legs. At some stage, something has to happen. Okay, so that's my input on Brexit. No, I'm not a politician. And I don't really get involved in that too much. But I do have views when it looks like time is being wasted and a country has spoken and its politicians aren't being aren't listening to the people. That's something that really concerns me. So I follow it very closely. Okay, back to the main subject of today's podcast, residential versus commercial. And I think people are really interested in it because for a lot of people, commercial is kind of alien. Commercial is something that the massive investors do, or maybe you're doing small time investment for commercial. That's absolutely fine. But for most of us, we know most about 
residential and really the reason we know most about residential is because it's pretty easy to get started. There's loads of mortgage options, you can choose just about anywhere to buy and you'll be able to find a strategy that works. So you could buy a property pretty much any city, as long as you're buying it at the right price, you should be able to let it out and make a profit. It is as simple as that. Again, the crux of the matter there is that you're buying it at the right price and you've done some good negotiating on it so that you are going to be making that money, but as long as you can do that, you're pretty much sorted. I guess the one thing that you do need to be able to do is raise that deposit money but depends on where you're investing. If you've got 10 grand, 20 grand in the bank, you should be able to buy somewhere. It might be a bit of a squeeze. You might have to be prepared to uh, do a little bit of the works yourself. But apart from that, you know, it's relatively easy if you've got a bigger deposit or you can take money out of your current property. For those of you who've, who've bought your own property and you live in your own property, well, you can take money out of that. You can use that and you're not having to save every month for a new property. You know, it's actually really, really easy uh, to get into Bicelet if it's what you want to do. Um, the other thing with residential is that it's a really simple process to find tenants. You don't have to use a letting agent anymore. You can use uh, an online letting agent and you can go and do the letting yourself and that's perfectly fine. And you know that if you list a property that's in good condition and it's priced right on Rightmove or on Zoopla or on, on the market, Gumtree, open rent, wherever you're placing that property, you're probably gonna find some tenants and pretty quickly. Uh, so again, process is simple. Um, and so from that point of view, you can buy buy-to-lets, residential buy-to-lets, and you can just let it tick over. Yes, it gets a little bit more complicated if you are buying uh, HMOs or service accommodation. It means that you have to put a little bit more thought into it, but that's okay. It's not at the end of the world. It just means that you just have to get a little bit more technical. But apart from that, it's fairly straightforward. And there are people that do it. In fact, there's 178,000 private landlords in the UK that do it. So there's a lot of people um, who find it relatively easy as well. Um, but there are problems with residential, which we all know. It can be so tough to evict non-paying tenants. We know it, we see people go through it all of the time. I've been through it where you end up in court with a tenant who actually it's really sad. I feel for people when they can't pay rent anymore because it means that something has gone disastrously wrong. And I know you might be saying, well, they're bad people, but actually if you look down to the real depths of why this person can't pay the rent, it's because they've either been brought up that way, it's kind of their new mentality based upon the hardships that they faced, or they just simply don't have the money. Whatever it is, it's pretty devastating once you figure out that someone can't pay the rent and they're not going to be able to and they feel sad in themselves. So from that point of view, it is pretty, pretty terrible. Um, and then it takes a long time. As I said, two months, you serve notice, then you've got to wait for a court date if they don't leave, then you go to court. If the tenant starts paying rent on the drip, chances are the judge isn't going to evict them because it shows that they are willing to pay something. You then start losing out because you can't afford to pay your mortgage and the process continues. And then if you do eventually get the property back, chances are it's not going to be in a great condition. And unless you've got insurance that is going to pay out, you have to pay for the renovation of that property. 
And that's soul destroying. In fact, that can make a landlord leave the market because you don't want to keep going through that. Uh, you get scared that that's going to happen every single time. And quite frankly, you put your barriers up as a landlord. And that's the terrible side of being a landlord. That really is for residential tenants. The other thing with residential property is that in order for you to make a profit on the value of your property, you need to wait for the housing market to improve or you need to spend a lot of money in order to make money. And what do I mean by that? Well, I mean, you either have to redecorate and that can cost a thousand, two thousand, ten thousand, twenty thousand pounds as much as you want it to, or you have to add area to your property. And again, building additional rooms on the side of your property can cost money. So you're spending money to make money. And you've got to make sure when you're doing that, that you aren't spending too much money on the refurb or adding to the building, because if you do, then chances are that um, you're not gonna make any profit if you try and remortgage or sell it. So you've gotta be really, really careful with that. So as far as residential, well, yeah, fine, it's simple. We know how to do it. For the majority of you, uh, for the majority of the time you're listening to this, you'll probably think to me, yeah, I can buy a property and I can do it up and I can rent it out. Fantastic. But we all know the pitfalls. Uh, and that that can be the the biggest problem. The other thing with residential property is that it's pretty slow to move on actually. If you ever wanted to sell your property, you're gonna have to find the right buyers, you're gonna have to get rid of your tenants. Well, actually you don't always have to get rid of your tenants, but a lot of people would prefer to do that so they can sell it on as a residential property. There is so many different things that actually can cause concern in that regard I mean it's just it's just the fact that you can hold for a long period of time and that's fine you can let it tick over you can keep reletting go through your cycles of letting the premises for a couple of years after about five years it becomes vacant then you can do it up again you can let it out and that works fine fantastic also paying off your mortgage or paying the interest you know that you can allow that to tick over for absolutely as long as you want. Um, the difficulty comes when you want to try and get that money out quickly and your mortgage provider needs you to wait for a certain amount of time or you want to sell on the market and that can take a little bit of time as well. So residential is good uh, if you want a really simple way of getting into property investing and you also uh, want to hold for a really long time. Okay, so let's have a look at commercial. Now, commercial is something that people don't look into as much because the startup costs are so much higher than residential. It requires a lot of capital. Actually, if you're looking to get a mortgage for a commercial unit, you're going to need about 40%. Usually, um, that's kind of the starting bracket for a lender to lend to you. As you get more properties, they might be able to increase their funding. Um, but usually, lenders for commercial property are quite risk averse. So they're going to be spending, they're going to be requiring a higher deposit from you. You also need specialist mortgage options and they're not as readily available as, um, as residential, but that's okay. There are still mortgage options out there. You just need to find a specialist broker who can help you. So commercial brokers are your friend in this case. But let's have a look at some of the better things from commercial. Once you get over that hurdle and you find that deposit, you've got that money, you're ready to go. Well, 
it's easier to find joint ventures or investors because the rewards are higher. Usually with commercial property, the returns are so much bigger than with residential. So joint venture partners or investors are going to be wanting to get on board because they're going to be able to make more money from the deal. Commercial tenants will pay higher rent and you get this quarterly. Usually commercial tenants pay on a quarterly uh, basis. The rents are in line with what's going on in the market. You just need to be making sure that you're buying your properties in an area where these commercial tenants are actually going to be able to trade. Of course, there's changes in the retail market at the moment where retailers aren't doing as well as they once did. And you have to be aware of that. You have to buy your premises in a place where a retailer can actually thrive. And that can be prime retail, although very, very, very expensive or secondary retail. Secondary retail is uh, off of a, a main shopping street, but where it's still really easy for footfall or pedestrians to flow through and go and shop there. Office is a little bit different. If you're buying office, then you want it in an area where there's really good transport links and actually the office building is a nice place to work. Think about well-being of tenants there. If you're looking to buy industrial units, then of course it's going to be further out of town. It's going to be well connected by road transport, maybe rail as well. And it's also going to be um, big, big, big space. So you have to think about what tenants you're looking to pick it, put in. And that can be a little bit tricky. But once you've got that unit and you've got the right tenant, then they will be paying the higher rents and you can kind of guarantee on that. If you've got residential uppers, that's a really good mixed use. Um, and then you're getting residential on a monthly basis and you're getting your commercial on a quarterly basis and that can really help cash flow. It's also far easier to get commercial tenants out of a unit who don't pay rent. You've got so many different options with commercial tenants. You can uh, go and have a chat with them. You can start negotiating with them uh, to get them on a payment plan until they catch back up with their rent. You can use commercial rent arrears recovery whereby you get the bailiffs to go in and uh, serve notice on the tenants saying you're about to use commercial rent arrears recovery. Then they can... Uh, possess any of the possessions from the commercial tenant and they can sell them off to get the rent. It's not the most efficient strategy, but it's an option there for you. And also commercial tenants, uh, commercial leases usually have a forfeiture clause. So if worst comes to worst, you go into the unit at 5am in the morning, you change the locks, you take back possession and you've ended the lease. So you've got different ways in which you can um, take action if the tenant doesn't pay. So that's far easier for you. Um, Tenants also pay larger deposits or they have personal guarantees in place. So there are ways in which you can go off the loss of rent or loss of service charge or loss of insurance if you're charging that as well and uh, actually recoup that from the tenants. So you've got so many different security options in place that you can use, which is a real benefit. Commercial tenants also pay service charge if the lease provides it. And I recommend that if you have got commercial tenants that you do have leases that provide it, um, which pays for the maintenance of the building. Fantastic. They also pay for the services and the common parts as well and anything to do with their units. So that's a real plus. It means that you can recoup any, any of the costs of maintenance as long as it's fair and reasonable for the proportion of the building that the commercial tenant um, occupies. And... That is awesome. It's really useful. That's why a lot of the big investors will always, always, always have commercial tenants because they don't actually have to pay for the upkeep of the building at all. 
All they tend to pay for is the managing company who collect the rent, they oversee the service charge and they make sure the tenants are complying with the terms of their lease. The other thing with commercial tenants is that or commercial buildings, in fact, is that you do not have to wait for the market to increase to increase the value of your property. Simply negotiating good lease terms and having high quality tenants in a building will improve the yield, which means that actually your property is worth more when you're looking at bank valuations, which is fantastic. And then, of course, you can put in place a good strategy. Strategy, strategy, strategy is key with commercial so that you know when you're going to be improving those lease terms. You know what kind of tenant you're aiming for so that you can constantly work on a process of improving the value of your property. So that part with commercial excites me greatly. Is what I've been doing for years and years and years and years. And it allows me to double the value of commercial property portfolios. Of course, there's always some element of rent payable, which is taken into account. If rents are dropping in the local area, then that's going to have an impact on yield and actually the security that this landlord is going to be able to get rents way into the future. So that's a bit of an issue. So so that will also impact upon the value of a property. But again, as long as you are, you can prove that the rent that you're getting, you could get continuously into the future, that's going to really pick up the value of your unit. But just a little, little, little tip. It is far tougher to find commercial tenants because they are going to be signing longer leases. They want to put down roots and they want to make sure that they are securing a premises in the right place so you have to go out and be prepared that it could take months to find a tenant and you're going to have to offer incentives to get the tenant in so that could be a rent-free period that could be contributing to fit out costs could be anything to make sure that you're securing the best tenant so there's money that you would have to put into that at the start but you can recoup that through the rent that you're getting throughout What would I advise if I was actually going to do this and this was going to be a strategy that I think that you should undertake? Well, actually, I I think you should get a bit of both. Residential is always a great way of just really easily starting off and making sure that you can keep going. You can find a property that's close to where you live if that works for you or maybe further away from where you live. You know, whatever whatever floats your boat. And you can get get into residential buy-to-let really easily whereas commercial is going to take a little bit more time so you can put in that strategy for residential where you build up your property portfolio and you can have a disposal scheme or you could remortgage every couple of years until you've got a big enough cash pot that you can buy that uh, commercial unit and then once you've got commercial then I would focus on getting mixed-use commercials so get some with uh, retail or some with office use and then have residential upper parts and then you can shift over to having purely commercial if you enjoy it and that's the sort of thing that you want. The one thing that I do know with commercial is that there are a lot of players out there who are going to snap up good commercial. So if you have got a really, really high quality commercial unit with some great tenants, if you put it on the market to sell as a investment premises, you probably are going to get a high level of interest and actually sell it pretty quickly. The other thing is is that you do not need to get rid of the tenants if you're selling a commercial uh, property 
because you want to sell it as a going concern. The buyer will be buying off of you because they like the cash flow that they are getting from that property. So it's far easier to sell them, but you do have to find specialist agents who know about commercial property in the local area. So that's a lot of information there about residential versus commercial, but I hope it's useful. Again, residential and commercial in England are governed by different landlord and tenant acts. Um, commercial in England is governed by uh, the 1954 Act that doesn't apply in um, Scotland. So just be aware of that, it does apply in Wales. Um, and residential, as you know, it's pretty, it's pretty similar in England, Scotland and Wales. Again, there are different acts, but they follow the pretty much the same process. What I would advise is that you have a solicitor that specializes in both. You want a solicitor on your team who's always going to make sure that you have got the right things agreed for your property portfolio. And if you're going to be doing commercial, make sure that you have a commercial surveyor who is working with you on your property portfolio as well, because they will have seen the ins and outs of it. I'm a commercial surveyor. I know exactly what I'm doing when I work with my, my commercial clients. We've got a goal so I can give them the strategy that goes through that. Um, and they can also go into negotiation when you've got a rent review or a lease renewal because there are strict processes that you need to go through and you need to start them early because inevitably negotiation takes a long time. Whereas if you're doing that with residential tenants, you probably could do it yourself. So these are key considerations that you need to take into account. With commercial, you need a bigger team than with residential. So I hope this has been really useful and really informative. And I would love to hear from you. Please comment below. Do you prefer buying residential or commercial? Or if you haven't bought residential or commercial yet, which one would you prefer to buy? I want to hear from you. And if you've loved this podcast, don't forget to hit like and subscribe so that you get it straight into whatever podcast platform you use every Tuesday morning. Thank you for coming and joining me today. I cannot wait to catch up with you again soon.